edition of the Pixel and Roll Show, where we discuss the hottest basketball team in the NBA, your Washington Wizards. Hello, everyone. This is Adam McGinnis. It is March 3rd, 2016, a chilly, chilly evening here in the nation's capital. It's actually snowing outside, but it was it is going to be 70s next week, so that is your weather update, and I'm really excited for that. As for your Cougars update, the uh, little kids basketball team, sixth grade boys that I coach, we have the playoffs on Saturday, had a spirited practice last night, put in a little half-court trap. We will see how that works out because uh, trying to teach 11, 10, 11-year-olds 11 what to do, uh, it's kind of dicey at times because their intention span is zero, but they're playing really well and I'm excited and we'll, I'm actually really nervous and I will let everyone know uh, how that all works out. Sorry for the hiatus. I've not done a show for about 10 days. I tried to do one last week. I recorded with Andrew Sharp, formerly of Grantland, now Sports Illustrated, big Wizards fan. And Skype, the Skype machine just let us down. So we're going to try to do one uh, coming up here in a couple more weeks. So, so look for that. But, wow, your Washington Wizards are 30 and 30. <laughs> woo! 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 I wish I had uh, some type of uh, noise buzzer for you. Yes, they are 500. It has been a long slog of the season to to reach this mark. It is kind of depressing and sad that I'm actually excited that they're 500, but especially in the John Wall era, they have struggled to reach this, and actually even before John Wall. So things are looking up. Uh, come on, ride that train. Uh, you ride it. <laughs> come on, get on that bandwagon. You ride it. <laughs> so jump aboard this bandwagon. Uh, so with me today uh, is is a, another frequent guest. At this point, he might be officially the co-host of the show because he has now been on this one uh, more than anyone else during the season. Sorry, Kyle. I know you're still out with a mysterious injury uh, similar to what Gary Neal is going through and what Chris Humphreys was playing with for months. Uh, come back anytime, Kyle, that, you know, still have a chance, but you know how the rotation goes in basketball. You lose your spot, man. People step up. And uh, with me today, Mr. Rashad Mobley. Rashad, what is up, bro? What's happening? So can I, can I say that I'm the, I'm the Jacko or the Joe House of, of, your, of your podcast? Would that be an accurate assessment? I would love it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, actually, uh, even better, I'd, I'd say you're more... Uh, Jalen and Jacoby at this point, maybe? Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm not a Republican and I don't eat a lot, so I guess that takes me out of the running for those. I forgot the one, uh, the one joke I was going to say is, uh, how are you doing now that uh, Ben Carson has suspended his campaign? Are, are you okay to, to, to go through <laughs> with this for the next hour? You know, somehow, and I'm able to pull myself together, uh, as I'm talking to you right now, I'm blinking like 90, 90 times a minute. Uh, but I'm, I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. <laughs> stay, stay with us. I, I know you're a smart guy, so I need your opinions. So, so stay with us. Uh, <laughs> oh, I have so many jokes. Uh, so many jokes. But Rashad, uh, I, I, I did a mock little cheer there of coming around that train. Uh, 30 and 30, you're Washington Wizards. How excited are you that they are finally 500? You know, it's... It's, it's, it's bittersweet because on one hand, I'm happy that they are they're knocking at the door of the playoffs. I mean, they're the teams ahead of them, the Pistons, the Pacers, the Hornets, are just an injury or just a loss of confidence away from going on a losing streak, and the Wizards could easily play themselves. Basically, 6, 7, and 8 are fair game. I don't think they can catch the Hawks. But again, 
when you think about where this team was the past two years when the conversation was, can they possibly get in two, three spot or are they locked in four or five? It's, it's, it's a bit of a letdown. I mean, this, this team should be, I don't care what kind of post tests up about how, how many wins they've lost to injury and all that. This team, regardless of all the injuries, should have been better than they are. So it's bittersweet. They're still not there yet. Um, you know, they still have to play Cleveland. They, they still have to go through some hurdles. They have to go through a couple of West Coast trips. But um, I like the things that I've saw uh, the past two games, and we'll get into that later. So there's reasons to be encouraged. But, you know, we aren't exactly the, you know, we're not a team that's been struggling for years and years, and now we're finally on the cusp of the playoffs. I mean, we were firmly entrenched in the playoffs, and now we've kind of lowered our expectations. And so we're happy at 9 and 500, and that's not really where this team should be. So I'm not trying to be a killjoy here, but I'm 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 in the middle. Now, if they beat Cleveland, then check back with me then. I'll, I'll ramp up my, my enthusiasm. I, I appreciate and respect your, your guarded enthusiasm, Rashad, because this morning I woke up and I had a, an aggressive Wednesday, had a few too many drinks with some friends, a little fuzzy, kind of out of it, and then it then it came to the realization that the Wizards were 500. All of a sudden, the air smelled a little better. Food tasted great. It, it was almost like, uh, you know, I scored some strange last night. But I did not. The Wizards are playing well. And let's just talk about it. They are 7-2 since the All-Star break. They've won four in a row. They've won six in a row at home. Uh, I also looked up their, their, their stats. They are one of the best defensive teams since the All-Star break. And we're going to get into to all these victories. Am I? I know what you're saying, as in I've lowered the bar, but I feel a lot better about this team than I did weeks ago. And it's almost like I, when I would do these podcasts and I'd rattle off and we'd go through the litany of negative things, and then I'd end on a positive note. And I would say, hey, Wall and Beal are healthy; they got a shot. These injuries, they get a rotation, come around, they got a shot. The schedule gets easier. Thank you, Philadelphia, for sucking, for being a terrible organization. Got two wins from Philly. Now, we're going to get into to the particulars of these games and how things shook out in each one where I kind of appreciate your guarded viewpoint because they're still not a well-oiled machine, but I've seen them play a lot better basketball over the last couple of weeks than we've seen all year, and there is some semblance of a consistency in a winning streak, no matter how they're getting it done. And as as Coach Randy Whitman will say, uh, a win is a win. That's true. A win is a win, and they can't help it if they're, the toughness of their schedule was front-loaded. They play all the tough – most of the tough teams they play before the break, and they have the easy schedule now. And, you know, we'd be getting one of them if they lost those games. So the fact that they're winning and they're building confidence is definitely encouraging. Um, but – it would be more encouraging if they started beating the teams in front of them. You know, if they beat Indiana, if they beat Cleveland at full strength, if they beat Miami at full strength, you know, then you start to feel encouraged because these kind of backhanded wins that you're getting on the way to the playoffs means nothing when you get in the series and you're facing a team at full strength every night. And so, you know, there's reasons to be encouraged. They're, they're getting healthy. Anthony Anderson looked like a beast off the bench. Alan, Alan you know, Anderson. Even though I feel uh, like, even though, even though Anthony Anderson is funny. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that was, I was thinking about, about Blackish. I'm getting all messed up. But Alan Anderson. I, 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 me throwing out a big Carson and, and, you know, wanting to make a black Jesus painting joke just got you all flustered, right? <laughs> but he looked good. I mean, they look like a well-oiled machine against Minnesota. And, yes, you can say Minnesota is not exactly a playoff team, but it's never tough winning on the road in Minnesota. So I thought they looked – I mean, they almost gave it away a couple times, but I thought they looked great. But you know, they play Indiana, they play Cleveland, and they play Indiana. Those, those are two teams who are above them. Those are two teams that they have struggled with. I, you know, if they beat those two teams or if they, they fall just short, then, then I'll feel encouraged. But right now, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. And, you know, like I said, we'll get into the nuts and bolts. But the biggest thing that frustrates me is they just look so good when Bradley Bill is in there and is comfortable. Um, I, like our colleague John Townsend pointed out, just the attention that John, that John Wall was, was garnering when he was going into the lane. And you look and you see how wide open Bill is and the great looks that Bill was getting. You know, that's, that's their bread and butter. And 
you know, I know there's a minutes restriction and all that, and it's really preventing Wall and Beal getting from getting into a rhythm with each other. And when they're in that rhythm, they're they're just unstoppable. And so that that's the other frustration here. It's like I they're a well oiled machine, but they're just a Bradley Bill start away from being that team where everybody can kind of breathe a collective sigh of relief and say, Okay, this this is the team we want to see. We got Beal at the two, we got Otto at the three, Markeith at the four, Gortat, this is the team we want. We're not there yet. And again to reference John, you know, Garrett Temple played horribly last night. And it's like it's like being at a at a comedy show and sit through the opening act it's like okay when when's you know when's the main event coming and when bill comes in then you feel like okay now it's a fair fight no i, I did see that uh mike prada had tweeted out a screenshot of minnesota's defense when gary temple was in the corner and andrew wiggins paid no attention to him and essentially was in the lane it wasn't even around him like zero respect so i right. do i do get that sense and there, we'll get it. I think we'll get into later about the rotation and, and you know how this team is playing out. But I want to start. Uh, the last time I had a show, we had just lost to uh, the Miami Heat, uh, the third game in three nights. You know, thank you NBA schedule. And it was just the spirit kind of uh, some. Kyle, Kyle, and me had similar thoughts. Kyle basically wrote, "Hey, if this team wants to go, where they want to do. They just basically were dead." I gave up. I criticized Whitman, who I thought ran his starters way too much, and it should have pulled maybe Greg Popovich and gone to the, the bench earlier and tried to see if he can get some spark or some magic that way. It didn't work out. I, I, I listened to other people basically say, hey, that's a schedule loss. You know, what do you expect? You know, three games and three night, the last game, you know, you took two out of two out of the three, positive, right? So then you go home. And so then the point being, I think someone had made that actually to Kyle and Kyle, you know, going back into Kyle's criticism was like, okay, well, what will matter is what happens in New Orleans at home the next night. Then you have Anthony Davis, who the night before had just went off. What, you, what was it? 54 and 22? 59 like and 20. 59 and 20, which is ridiculous, right? So you go and you're like, oh my God, 59 and 20. Here it comes. They come in. DC, you don't know what to expect with the Wizards. They should beat this team, but yeah, I can see Andy, you know, Anthony Davis going, you know, going nuts. And they had, they had struggled to saw on Whiteside previously, right? You can see them, you know, AD pull, you know, the Unibrow pulling his things. The Wizards play an awesome game plan on Anthony Davis. I think at one point he had like four points at half. I, I don't even remember what he ended up finishing with. He got a lot of rebounds. John Wall no. shot, shot terribly. Uh, John Wall shot terribly, ended up with a triple double, and they pretty much pulled away and won by 20 points. They won 109 to 89 at the Verizon Center, took care of business, and they were, the first half was kind of sluggish. They st- stepped on their throat in the third quarter and kind of coasted in the fourth quarter. And kind of the victory that, that we should have seen out of this team for so many games that we hadn't had. And I thought it was a positive development, especially how they, they, they played on uh, Anthony Davis. Like I said, even though half those people in the Pelicans, half those players, I was like, they're still in the league? I, I didn't even know half those dudes were still in the league. They were starting some dude from Iowa State, a rookie. I don't even remember him playing for Iowa State, and I'm an Iowa fan. I mean, I kind of remember him. I'm like, he's starting? It was a random-ass lineup. Your thoughts on the Pelicans? Any takeaways? First of all, that lineup was just it, – it was terrible. Like, it – when I was watching NBA TV later, they were openly feeling sorry for Anthony Davis. Like, why does he have to go out with that lineup? I mean, it's due to injuries, but it's just it's a shame. But, you know, I one thing that impressed me was the defense of Jared Dudley. I mean, he, you know, on offense, he's kind of a finesse player. He kind of roams around the three-point line. But on defense, against certain players, he really gets into them. And I noticed he was very, very physical with, Anthony Davis kind of getting underneath him, kind of gently nudging him out into the lanes. And then when he had the ball, he was crowding him. So I, I was impressed by that. But, again, it's easy to shut down Anthony Davis when nothing else is going on on offense. And they just weren't doing a good job of getting him the ball. He took nine shots all night. You know, Anthony Davis took nine. That's, that's just insane. After 59 so, points, right? What the hell? Right. Yeah, yeah so, he was three and nine. I, mean, I, I want to credit. Yes. 20 rebounds, but yes, 3 of 9 for 9 points. Right, I mean, he was, he was the beast on the boards, but 
between Norris Cole and uh, the head coach, they just did not do a good job of designing plays to get him in the ball where he get him the ball where he could score. So part of that is coaching and personnel. But Jared Dudley did an excellent job. And the thing that I like, which we've seen, which we didn't see against two against Philly twice, was that in the third quarter they didn't come out and stumble and kind of just hold on and be like a days ago. They came out and scored 31 points, held the Pelicans to 14, and put that game away. You know, that that's something that even against a lesser roster that you want to see from this team because they need rest. I mean, you got people on minutes restrictions. You got people coming back from injury. John Wall has played a hell of a lot this season. You want to actually go into a game the way Golden State has been going in the third quarters where you can sit your best players and you can kind of, if the league gets below 10, you can kind of put a starter in at a time, but you can just kind of coast. And I thought that they did that against the Pelicans, and that was refreshing to see. I mean, John Wall was great as usual. Dudley contributed on the offense, on the offensive end with 18 points and six threes. Yeah, you know, six just, was, six was, threes too. We got to mention that yeah. six threes. We even had a Dudley heat check, heat check too, which was great. So, and, and, and your boy Kelly Oubre even played nine minutes and scored eight points. So it was, you know, it, it was, it was just good to see them put their foots on somebody's neck and win a game decisively. We haven't been able to say that very much. Yeah, no, let's finish the roster. Uh, Dante Cunningham, Bryce DeJean Jones, Norris Cole, and Alex Achinja. Uh, and then on the bench, Drew Holiday, Tony Douglas, who I did not know was in the league, uh, Ryan Anderson, uh, our boy Alonzo, former wizard, life is a G, and uh, Kendrick Perkins, and Luke Babbitt. <laughs> and Luke Babbitt, who I did not know was, was in the league as well. Uh, yeah, the Wizards shot threes really well. They won the game. So here's the thing. So they are 7-2 and two since the break. And, and I feel like, yes, some of the wins haven't been that impressive. There's been a few impressive wins, but the losses have been devastating. And so I think that the trepidation that maybe you share, you have, and maybe not all Wizards Twitter fans, but, but a few, is that the losses were so painful. And the one that makes fans want to go off the ledge was the, was, was the, was the following game in Chicago. So Chicago is missing pretty much everyone, right? Uh, Derek Rose didn't play. Obviously Noah's out. Jimmy Butler is still hurt. And the, this was a game against a team they're trying to compete for the playoffs, a team that they actually had handled. They have played really well against. You know, they beat them in the playoff series two years ago. They beat them earlier this year without Gortat and were shorthanded and pretty much dominated that game. And they go in, and we got Eton Moore, Doug McDermott, and Tony Snell lighting them up. Terrible defense. I Fans were, were on the ledge, like I mentioned, the Chicago Bulls won the game 109 to 104. Pretty much took over in the second half. The Wizards slept walk. It was an awful game. How much do you think that, like, you know, losing, you know, we said the, the Heat loss was a schedule loss, but this Bulls loss to me was the worst loss. And, you know, then they've ran off four straight since. So now it kind of changes the narrative. But that narrative after that Bulls loss was bad. People were, were uh, like, what is this team? Do they have a heart? You know, this is a team you should beat, and you don't. I mean, I had all sorts of emotions and feelings. I, I, you know, both people on Truth About It. I think Troy wrote something. I forget who else wrote something. It was just scathing and critical. Like, does this team, you know, does this team really want to make the playoffs? Like, after that loss, it was just like, okay, I'm tired of you just talking about making the playoffs. Like, this was the game, the team you're competing against for the last spot without their key players, and you have your you have your people, and you threw up a dud, Rashad. Yeah, it was at first uh Sean Fagan and uh yeah, and Sean, Troy yeah, were about the game and Troy's headline is where's where's the sense of urgency? And you know this not to beat a dead horse, but I just think for a game like that you start deal. You know, don't worry about a minute's limit. There's a certain attitude you have to have with the team who is wounded and you have to beat them early and you have to make them feel like okay, we don't have a chance. And that that just did not happen and I, I just that's not a schedule loss. That's a coaching loss. You know, it's, it's the coach's job. I mean, I know the players play the game, but it's the coach's job to say, look, this is what I want to see out of you. This is what I want to see out of you. We have to beat this team, and let's beat them in the first half. Let's put this away in the first half. Tell, Have Coach Whitman tell the players, I want Kelly Oubre to play the whole second half. 
but I want them to do that because we're up by so much. And they just didn't, you just never see that on the bench. You don't see somebody get ejected. You don't see somebody just make the right adjustments. Even Bradley Bill said out of the game, after the game that the Bulls made adjustments and we didn't. And all Whitman said is we're not defending, we're not, you know, our focus isn't there. But they're just, I don't know, it, it was just extremely frustrating to see no urgency, no adjustments, nothing creative done as a coach to kind of help the team along. And, you know, this is the kind of loss that, I mean, it looks good now. They're 30 and 30, and they're right on the cusp of being in the playoffs. And the Bulls are also 30 and 30, but the Bulls are going to get a lot of people back soon. And if they miss the playoffs, especially by one or two games, we're going to look at this game. Well, the Wizards are going to look at this game, and they're going to kick themselves because there was no effort. And it's not like... It's not like Philly. You know, Philly has, they've had pretty much the same roster all year, but there's just a lack of talent. This was a roster that was injured. There were a lot of players in there who really haven't shown that much this year. And Doug McDermott just, he looked like Steph Curry out there. (laughs) I mean, he was just, I mean, there was this one play in particular where, uh, I don't know which Bulls player shot the ball, but he missed it. And it was Bradley Beal and it was Marcin Gortat. And they both literally watched the ball hit the floor. And Doug McDermott just came in and scooped it up. And they just looked at each other like they were incredulous. But it just, you know, they, to Whitman's credit, he did say one thing about this team. Shots don't fall. Then the body language starts to look bad. And then the defensive effort starts to look even worse. And then before you know it, this team has lost the lead. Multiply that times 10. That's what happened against the Bulls. And, you know, it, it just, it's, it's disheartening to see. No, no. Piggybacking what you mentioned earlier was, to me, the takeaway of this game, what I remember was the Bulls made seven straight shots out of, out of, out of half. It's like, okay, Wizards, hey, you have a sluggish half. The Bulls came out, seriously, the Wizards couldn't get a stop. Like, I, I think I, I remember commenting, especially in the fourth quarter, hey, it doesn't matter what the Wizards go on offense. They literally cannot stop the Bulls. And the two plays, the takeaways, that still are painful because – being from Nebraska, my parents live in Omaha, and my mom and stepdad used to have season tickets to Creighton. I used to watch Carl Corver back in the day. I've watched a lot of Doug McDermott games at the Quest Center. It's now the Century Link Center, a really nice arena, too, by the way, in downtown Omaha. Just check out the old market. Really cool. Awesome. Uh, College World Series. Good bridge. Anyway, by the way, go in the summer, not in the winter. But... Dude, I never watched Doug McDermott dunk one time in, in four years of watching him. Like, like, and I'd been to maybe two or three games, at least one or two games a year, like Christmas break, whatever. Never seen that guy dunk one time. He dunked two times in this game, twice. And not only did he dunk twice, one, John Wall just basically a lot. John Wall was like, I'm just not going to, uh, I guess I'm just going to like the, let the, the goofy white guy from Iowa go baseline on me, crams it. And then he had a tomahawk dunk later that I, I believe would ends up being the funniest vine I'd seen uh, until a Chris Christie one this week, uh, where Jimmy Butler just gave this this funny look, and there's all these memes about it. It was, uh, and I think uh, I saw Dublin Dermot uh, give a quote later that he even that Jimmy Butler said after him was like, "Yeah, man, I didn't know, I didn't know you white boys could dunk like that." And I was like, hold on, Doug McDermott is a shooter who can't play defense, who has been play- had been playing better for the Bulls, and now he's out here just cramming on us. Adam, <laughs> right? he, cocked, he cocked the ball back before he dunked it. I mean, he didn't just dunk it. He wound up on it and came down like, you know. It hurts, Rashad, it hurts. It still like hurts. he was Aaron Gordon. <laughs> yes, he's Doug McDermott from Ames High, former teammate of, former teammate of, uh, of Harrison Barnes. He is a shooter, man. He, he, he's, you know, a big guy can play the post, but he never, he never dunked on dudes and did facials. And in fairness, we should say, it's not that I think white guys can't dunk because, you know, I lived through Rex Chapman and Brent Berry. That's not it. But this dude, I had never seen dunk before. And when you get up and you're not only dunking, but you cock it back like you've been there before when you damn well haven't, that, that's, that's bad. Let's not even make it about race, Rashad. What if what if Jared Dudley just just did a cockback dunk out of nowhere on somebody? I'd be like, whoa. That, that shit ain't happening right? either. You've seen Jared Dudley dunk. He can't jump at all. <laughs> he can't jump. No, that would be equally as surprising. So, you know, but, you know, speaking of Jared Dudley, there was, no, there was nothing 
production-wise from Gortat, Dudley, or Otto Porter. I mean, it's, it's as if they did not show up. They scored uh, 15 points combined, and it was just, you know, Wall had a decent game. Temple actually showed up, and Bill played well, but there was nothing from the front line, the starting front line, and it was it was just, it, it was a flat game. And, you know, when we get to the end of the season and we're figuring out whether to bring Randy back, this is one of those games that's on him. I mean, there are some games that are on the players, you know, but there, there are some games that are coaching. It's like, what are you doing to motivate your team to let them know that you absolutely need this game? For well, example. Didn't, didn't you think when, the Wizards Mar- played, when, when Taj Gibson was, like, crushing us and then he finally went to Markeith Morris, but it took him maybe too long, I thought? Yeah, I mean, I, I can understand why he... Marquise was still getting his feet wet that night. You know, he's still getting adjusted. But, and I, I don't fault Randy for that because maybe he doesn't know exactly what Marquise has. Out, and as we see now, he knows what he has and he's starting now. So I don't blame him for that. But uh, I, I don't know. I just, when the Wizards play Cleveland uh, tomorrow, you best believe that Tyrone Lewis was going to say to that team, you know, they. They beat us pretty badly, and we're full strength now. We're the number one team in the East. We need to show them that we mean business, and I guarantee you they're going to come out fired up the first five minutes. We've never seen that from the Wizards. Have you ever seen the Wizards come out the first five minutes, and they're up by 10, 15 points, and you're like, oh, shit, they're, they're really serious. This was the game to see that, and that and that was not there. And So this is why when you asked me in the beginning, am I excited about being 500? I am, but they really should be 31 and 30. They should be a game above the Bulls, not tied because of this game. Well, we and I don't to... want to stay too, you know, we have other games to get to, so we shouldn't stay yeah, yeah, too yeah, much. Yeah, but yeah. This was, yeah, I want to move everybody on. Everybody was dejected. Yeah, oh, no, totally, totally. But we talked about a schedule loss. Let's talk about a schedule win. Uh, when you play the 8-49 and 49, uh, Philadelphia 76ers on Friday night, I watched this game with a buddy at a bar in the first half. We were we were actually supposed to podcast later. It didn't work out. I ended up watching the rest of it the night before. I mean, the, in the morning on Saturday because it was Friday night. They played once again. Wizards looked like a like like a daisical in the first half. It didn't know if I this could go either way because if this because at this point the Wizards are twenty six and thirty. If they lose in Philly to an eight win team. I mean, we talk about jumping off the ledge when you lose to the Bulls without missing their players. That's one thing. But to lose to to the worst team in the NBA on the road, again, like they did last year, would be devastating, especially when they're trying to even, they're trying to make this run and they just made a trade. But hey, we have, we have this player named John Wall, and he pretty much is like, yeah, turned it up a notch. I, I felt like he was kind of sloppy, almost like pickup game-ish, like, let me do some cut his cut dribbles and do some fancy passes in the first half. It wasn't like sloppiness, like oh, it was almost like okay, these guys suck. Let me try some like funny kind of fancy stuff. But then when he buckled down and got serious, he just dominated and took away the game in in the late third, early fourth, and and then the Wizards won one hundred three to ninety four in Philadelphia on Friday night. What was your takeaway? What do you remember from from that from that game, Rashad? The quote after the John Wall said, we can't lose this game. You know, for a playoff team, we have to win this game. And as much as I did not think the game should have been that close, given how Philly was playing, I do appreciate that John Wall kind of seized the moment and realized, okay, that's enough. We're not going to lose this game. And, you know, I, I put that 100% on him. You know, just coming out, realizing you're losing the game, realizing that you have the advantage against Ish Smith and exploiting it. So, that, that, that was my biggest takeaway. Like, you want your superstar, particularly when you're trying to make the playoffs, to kind of say, okay, just, you know, we, we need this game. We have to win. Let's go out and get it. And he didn't get much help from the backcourt and Temple who put up a donut that game. But, you know, he still got everybody involved. Bill still contributed a little with nine points. And Markeith had a decent game with ten points. And so I, I was just encouraged that Wall seized the moment. Um you still don't like the fact that they kept it that close when, again, rest is so important and, you know, Alan Anderson is coming back. You just, there's, there's a certain amount of rest and minutes distrib- distribution that you want to see, and you can do that when you're blowing a team out, not when it's kept close. But, you know, they got the W, and 
I suppose that's that's the main deal. Well, well I th- the the takeaway from from me from this game is that uh, Markeith Morris, who who's from Philadelphia, his mom gave everyone a Philly cheesesteaks uh, in the locker room after the game. Are you uh, uh, cheese with or without? Or Geno's? Which one's the racist one? Pat? Pat or Geno's? I forget. I know the Philly listeners. Which one's the racist one that like doesn't like? I have no clue. You, you know the Philly cheesesteak places, right? The tourist ones. I forget which one it is. But I ended up going to. Bob's. I'm a vegetarian like you, man. I have no clue. Oh no, no I've been I've been to both. Uh, but I ended up having a better one like downtown, like or on Broad Street, a lot better. Uh, late night, I actually almost saw a fight between a Red Sox fan and a Phillies fan. Uh, it was. Yeah, or no, it was a Pat- well, Red Sox fan, but he was in a Patriots jersey. True story. Late night, drunk. I was at a wedding, going to get a Philly cheesesteak at like 3 in the morning, and this guy in front of me has a Teddy Bruschi jersey on, and the guy behind me starts mocking him about asking him if he's going to have a stroke because Teddy Bruschi just had a stroke. This was like, I don't know, years ago, six, seven, eight years ago. And I was like, really? Philly, Philly, drunk guy? You're just going to, you know, of course, I have no love loss for Boston sports fans. But I was like, ah, that's even, like, that's, that's not a good, not a good one-liner. Uh, I'm done with Philly. I nothing, nothing else good to say for them. So, so here it comes. Sunday matinee, Cleveland, the next game. Uh, I am expecting, first of all, 1 p.m. start. I, one, for some reason I assumed that the game was on TV, but it was actually not on TV. So I thought it was going to be on ABC, but, you know, national, the broadcasters do not like the Wizards this year for some reason, which I think contributed to John Wall having 500,000 less, less votes. I will keep harping on that, but this is the main one. So like, all right, the Cavs, the Braun, DC, one o'clock start. I'm like, ah, we've seen Rashad over the years. Anytime there's been, any type of day game, even MLK day games, even though Wizards have played historically pretty good on MLK, but anytime there is a Sunday day game, there over the years, I'm telling you, man, it has not been good. It has been sluggish. It seems like maybe they were out a little bit too, you know, too late partying at the clubs or whatever it is, and then you get the quotes after the game like, oh, you know, you know, a different start, or we're not making an excuse, but then the journalist will ask those questions, right? I, dude, I went to the game. I was actually probably pretty hungover as well. And right before I get there, I get there, and Ben Stanek makes a comment like, uh, Are you, I think he was trying to infer that I was hungover, which he was correct in his assessment. That, uh, that LeBron had the, the morning flu as well, and LeBron was not playing. So then you're like, okay, LeBron's not playing. So then I kind of got some humor out of the fact that all these Cleveland fans outside the arena for a sold-out game had bought tickets to see LeBron, and they were not going to be able to see them. And and not only are not all Cleveland fans, they're also the bandwagon fans, like the Kobe stand. So I enjoyed, <laughs> I enjoyed uh, very cynically that they would be disappointed. But then the second thought is, oh, my goodness, are the Wizards going to lose to the Cavs without LeBron? You know, we were so dejected, right? We've just talked about how they just lost, they just lost the Heat without Wade, Wade and Bosch. They just lost the Bulls without, you know, their three best players. You know, are they going to lose like this? So I see Mr. Kyle Weedai, missing report. Uh, me and him covered the game. I was there. Hangover gets a little bit better. And yo, man, the Wizards jumped on them from the jump. And it was some of the best offensive basketball that I'd seen out of the Wizards all year for three quarters. Smoke, like, Adam, ball movement, everyone. Markeith was making all sorts of moves. John Wall was dominating. Kyrie's, Kyrie Irving's defense was pathetic, man. They had no answer. John Wall could basically, you know, I wrote this on Truth About It, which I'll obviously link in the show notes. But the takeaway was like, okay, you know how, like, they always talk about stopping John Wall in the, the transition game in the fast break, right? But dude, and so John Wall, they want to get him in a half court. Dude, he basically could do whatever he wanted to do in the half court. Like Kyrie was so bad at the pick and roll. They, they, no one helped. John Wall was going in, do whatever he want, kick to the shooters, and they actually didn't even shoot that well in the first half. You know, they're, they're up. If they would have actually shot better in the first half, they probably would have been up by 20. So you're like, okay, maybe they'll come in. Uh, the Cavs will regroup at a half. We've seen how the Wizards had struggles on at a half, like what we discussed about the Bulls game. Man, come out. Otto Porter, three straight three balls, 
Game set match. Uh, they were done. Tyrone Liu subs out four dudes uh, five minutes into the game, or five minutes into the second half. Basically already kind of waving the white flag. The Wizards essentially smoke them. They're up almost 30 points with like five or six minutes left. It ends up being uh, 113 to 99 was the final, but that was only because the Cavs basically went on a 17 to 2 run in the final five minutes. Because, uh, you know, uh, JJ Hickson, you know, Wizards debut. Welcome. Welcome to the team, JJ Hickson. And Kelly Oubre, who was fouling and not doing well, they struggled at the end. But, dude, it was a clinic, man. And aside from, you know, Kyrie got some points here and there, kept him in, but no one else got off at all. And we, like we've seen with Etan Moore, T- Tony Snell, even Hassan Whiteside, or, you know, name some ram-ass player for some team that we've seen over the years that has been a Wizards killer. It didn't happen for the Cavs, and I thought it was one of the most, even without LeBron, I know it's an asterisk because LeBron wasn't there, it was one of the most impressive performances I'd seen out of the Wizards this, this season or uh, this year. First off, this is, there's not an asterisk by this game because a, a lot of the teams that are without superstars or they're injured, or injured like the Bulls or the Sixers, those aren't rosters that can beat you on paper. On paper, this Cavaliers roster could very well beat the Wizards. And so I don't, I'm not going to put an asterisk by it. Yes, they didn't have their best player, but that doesn't mean that this team could not have legitimately beat the Wizards. You still had Kevin Love. You had Kyrie Irving. You had Della Vadova. You had J.R. Smith. I mean, you had Vic Dick and Shumper. They could have beaten them. And so they didn't. But there are a couple things. Number one, we saw Whitman put Markeith on. He started Markeith in the second half and put him on Kevin Love pretty much made Kevin Love even more of a non-factor than he already is, number one. Number two, John Wall, he gets credit for the assist that he has, and he should, but the ball movement that he facilitates is contagious. So there was this one moment where everybody was making that extra pass, and Markeith Morris is not necessarily known for making that extra pass, but it was contagious. That ball was whooping around. I think they had something like... 27 or 28 assists, you know, the ball was moving even when John wasn't facilitating. So that was, you know, it was, it was just good to see. But number three, there's no coincidence that Monday morning after this game, we saw, I don't know if it was Ryan Windhorse or if it was Stephen A. Smith report that Kyrie Irving is unhappy because we saw why Kyrie Irving is not, you know, in crunch time, why he's not in games in the cell of Adova. Kyrie Irving was dribbling way too much. He was dribbling for 13 to 15 seconds on the shot clock. Sometimes he looked great and made a typical shot. Other times, literally, everybody else was standing on the perimeter. And they looked like, they looked like abused children who are used to getting the ball when LeBron is there and they're waiting for it. And it just doesn't happen because Kyrie Irving is in there. So I think those three factors contributed to a blowout loss. I mean, you had the star player who's a ball hog. You had Wendy Whitman who actually made a smart decision. Well, I'm not gonna let me not say that. He, made smart, <laughs> he actually made. I'm not no. I'm not gonna bash his decision making, but he made a smart adjustment by putting Marquise in there. And you had Wall who just was infectious, and that that just added up to a blowout. And it's like. When they do something like this against a team, even without LeBron, it's still a very good team. It, it just makes you go back to why they're so close with Philly. Why did they lose to Chicago when they can do this? And so this, I mean, of course, they're going to pay for that tomorrow when Cleveland's going to be up and they're going to be ready. But I just thought this was a this was a win that says, okay, maybe we, we haven't done it, but this is what we can do. And so that was, you know, of course, this is what started Marquise Morris. Uh, in the starting lineup, but this was a this this was a great win, and it kind of they won back all the goodwill they gave away against the Bulls. Yeah, I mean, and then the X factor a lot with this team, dude, is Otto Porter. I mean, he had twenty one points. He was plus twenty one, four threes. Like I mentioned, the the three the three big ones, and he was active. I mean, I mean, in that Bulls game, and I think Kyle had actually mentioned this in, in women. I I pretty sure after the Bulls game was, hey, Otto, like, sometimes I don't know if you're out there. And and Kyle mentioned, he's like, sometimes he's just some skinny dude out there. But he was in the passing lanes, defense. I mean, it was, dude, it got to the point, it was such an ass-kicking that I was just looking around the arena 
looking for LeBron James heat jersey. Because <laughs> I knew there was going to be one. I was like, I was just going to sit around and look. I, I started watching this 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 terrible video that Kelly Oubre made that I linked the other day. That's really bizarre. Because uh, I was just bored. I mean, it was that big of an ass kicking, which is crazy to think, right? Like, that it, here, even with, like, like we mentioned, even without LeBron, uh, that here it is. I mean, the crowd was good. It was, it was great. I mean, and the Cavs were the ones, uh, they had just suffered a loss in Toronto and Kali Lowry had went off. So after they got their ass kicked against the Wizards, the media, man, ah, uh, yeah, I mean, you have all the bigwigs too. I mean, you got David Aldridge there because, you know, he's always here locally, but, you know, he's got the national cachet. Congratulations, DA. I know you're a big fan of Rashad, but congratulations on, on your, your Hall of Fame uh, nom- nomination. But then you also had, you know, the, the, the two Cavs beat guys, and then there was a, the, the, the ESPN dude, Dave, I forget his last name, but he was the one that kept asking about Tyrone Liu uh, subbing out all these guys. McNinneman. Yeah, yeah, McNinneman. He was the one that asked the question. And so I recorded, and I might have the only video, you can actually look it up uh, on my YouTube page, of J.R. Smith, who basically after the game started getting in these quotes. I couldn't really hear him that well. Michael Lee was there from Yahoo, you know, former Washington, Washington Post beat guy, and Andrew Sharp was there as well. So you have all these national people, because obviously it's the Cavs, right? And, you know, it's the Warriors, Cavs, you get the national-ish guys locally. And J.R. Smith was just straight up, man, like, man, like, we got whooped. I mean, he... It was funny because at one point he was saying like, "Hey man, it's, you know Toronto's number two. We lost. Kyle, Kyle had a big game, blah, blah blah." But you know the Wizards are. And then he then he stopped himself two different times because he was about to say like, "Man, we lost to the tenth place team. Who's sorry? What the hell?" And he stopped himself and just went back into pretty much, you know, who are we? What are we doing? It shouldn't matter. And then, dude, that those quotes from J.R. Smith end up being a front page story, or front page story on ESPN. I heard multiple, multiple podcasts, NBA podcasts, radio nationals, pretty much just talking about this all the way on Monday. And then I, I believe then Stephen A. Smith, who I hate, obviously, but uh, he said sources say Kyrie wants out. I sat there and waited for Kyrie after it was over to interview him. Kevin Love had too many people around him, and I've been interviewed Kevin Love before, and he's kind of a jerk. And Kyrie's actually not that not that nice either. Uh, I mean, he's not mean. But I waited for Kyrie, and and he was just you know whatever. You know, I wanted to play because he was not he was the one that got didn't get subbed out by Ty Lue, so he stayed in the game. And you know, he's getting dressed and he's joking with uh, James Jones. He's joking with Shumpert and and all this stuff. And then I'm just waiting. And then I don't know. I just didn't really ask any questions. I, I didn't feel like asking any questions because there was nothing really to ask, and I don't really care about about the Cavs angle. One one point I would like to, to to mention to the people is that so LeBron doesn't play and I someone tweeted out so like five minutes he was but he was dressed though he was in his warm up about five minutes left in the game he just took off and went back to the locker room so then we we're waiting for Tyron Lue to show because how it works is that and I know you're aware Rashad but for the for the people listening is that you wait for the visiting coach or the home coach to talk and once they're done then the locker room is open. So what some dudes will do is that they'll just jam out before the coach is done so they don't have to talk to the media. And most of the time they got a shower, so it takes a little longer. Uh, so we're waiting for Ty Lue. As we're waiting for Ty Lue, here comes LeBron, man, right by me. And I tried to actually take a, a picture and a Snapchat of him. He had his hood up of his parka, even though it was really nice on Sunday, uh, and just walks right through everyone without even talking and jamming out. I was like, man, so he left the bench early, and then he took off. I don't know. It, it was a funny. It was it was funny to witness. Uh, you know, here here is you know the, one of the best players in the world, and he the Wizards basically <laughs> had kicked their ass. Uh, we can do a, a whole podcast on on Cleveland Cavaliers and and the and the bad chemistry experiment that's going on right now because yeah. you know what you just described is in sharp contrast to what you are seeing with Golden State or what you see with the Spurs or. You, know, you just you see teams of togetherness, and yes, they have their squabbles, as we saw with Draymond Green. But you would never see anybody on the Golden State team, and definitely not on the Spurs team, definitely not Tim Duncan, whether he's in street clothes or not, just get up and walk out. You know, and I, I think that LeBron he he runs that team. I mean, it doesn't matter whether Tyrone Lewis is there or not; he runs that team, and there's just you know, as as Bob Ryan said, there, there's something. 
it's like you, you get the feeling that they're still figuring it out, which doesn't quite make sense. But you know, I don't know if I'm Kev, if I'm Kyrie or if I'm Kevin Love and LeBron's not there, I'm having the best game of my life. I'm building the trust of my superstar, but I'm also just for my own stuff saying, okay, I you know I used to be an all star. I'm still an all star. Look at what I can do without LeBron, and they just look. They look bad. Now I'll give the Wizards credit, but oh, Kyrie was nine Kyrie was nine to twenty, four turnovers, negative twenty two plus minus, six assists, had twenty shots, twenty shots in, in twenty eight points. Uh, Ke- Kevin Love was four of eleven, only played twenty three minutes. Kyrie played thirty two. He had twelve points, five rebounds, and negative fourteen plus minus for Kevin Love. And I felt like yeah, yeah, like they had to go off more, but I. But also to me is that the Wizards didn't let a random player like Della Dova or J.R. Smith or Tristan Tom Thompson dominate. You know, some random player to get off. By the way, uh, Richard Jefferson played 33 minutes, the most uh, second most on the Cavs. I did not know that he was still was in the yeah. league. Uh, hey, shout out well, to Garrett. Did you ever think that? Do you ever think that Richard Jefferson would still be in the league? And I, I made this joke, and I think you would like it, and the people would like it. Uh, so Sunday, I'm watching Richard Jefferson play basketball, and his former college teammate. Gilbert Arenas is probably trying to think of uh, obscene uh, hashtags to make on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's like, okay, to, 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 let's move on from Cleveland. It's also it's interesting to see that the Washington became part of the national media story the next day. I mean, they're more piling on the Cavs because, because what, Lowry went off for like 40-some, and they're like, what's wrong with the Cavs? Articles, how can it be so bad? Without LeBron, then you have that, that report you mentioned with with Kyrie Irving, uh, and then the Wizards come and they play the next day. But here's the deal: once again, it's not it's a back to back technically, but the game was at one o'clock on Sunday, so they have the Sixers once again, Philly. You know the schedule. I tell you, they're getting easier. Schedule victory uh, on Monday night. I know you were there. The Messed up game. What a weird game. I mean, we probably could have a whole podcast about this game. I don't want to get into that because people will probably be too bored. You were there. Just tell me your impressions of being there and kind of recap what your takeaways was. Because from my viewpoint, uh, the Wizards end up winning 116-108. to 108. Uh, the, the sick Philly, it looked like the Wizards were going to blow them out. And then Philly went on this crazy run in the third quarter, 24-4 to run. John Wall ended up having to be amazing again to pull out the victory. And I think that this is what buys into some of the negative viewpoints you have of, of this team sometimes because that's, once again, how can John Wall set out against the Cavs? I know Sands LeBron, but then next night play the worst team who's better, or the Cavs are better with without LeBron. And John Wall basically has to do a hero effort to, to get the victory. Because something just happened in the third quarter, which was mysterious to me watching on TV. What did you see uh, being at the Verizon Center, Rashad? Well, number one, just listening to Brett Brown. Well, okay, let me back all the way up. Jorge Castillo asked uh, Randy Whitman point blank, is Marquise going to start again? And Randy Whitman was like, I don't think about that stuff. 30 minutes later, as you know, when the PR people hand out the starting lineup, there's Marquise in there. So... I mean, obviously he thought about it. He thought about it at great length and put Marquise in there. So that was kind of a dick move. But Brett Brown was very, very intent on stopping John Wall. He talked about because the third quarter takeover for Wall for the last game was very fresh in his mind. So he was talking about how he talked about his guy. He talked to his guys about building a wall around John and kind of making him having to be multiple people to win. So, you know. I remember leaving that press conference thinking, okay, somebody else is going to have to step up. And, you know, Wall just, he did what he wanted to do. Um, but in that third quarter, it was as if, you know, I'm going to date myself here, but I, I forget what Superman it is. It might have been Superman 2 when Superman lost all his powers and the villains had the powers and they were just taking over the world. Well, that's what it looked like happening in the third quarter. All of a sudden, Ish Smith became... John Wall, and the Wizards' transition defense was terrible. And literally, either Ismith would get the rebound or he would get the outlet pass, and he was zooming down court past all the Wizards. He was making all the right passes. He scored when he wanted. And I was sitting there, and Connor and I were like, what, 
what is going on? I mean, the defense was terrible. The Wizards had zero fast break points that third quarter. They only had one attempt. They, they weren't doing anything. And you're sitting there saying, they're going to lose this game. I mean, they were down by eight points. And at one point, Isaiah Cannon was feeling so good that he scored a basket and he stood right in front of the Wizards bench and flexed. And just, he didn't say anything. He just stared at everybody like, you know, yeah, we're bad, but we're, we're killing you all right now. And so, you know, again, going back to your beginning question, it's a victory that you want to feel good about because John Wall again showed that if called upon, he can take over a game single-handedly. And he didn't have as many assists as usual. He just had seven, but he was scoring at will in all kinds of ways. And he did, you know, he's... 37, know points, 37 points. He does this new step-back move that he has where he kind of takes a hard drill and takes a hard jump back. So he had that. He was driving to the lane. He hit threes. But he also had to play 42 minutes. I mean, Gortat had to play 41. And you're just sitting there thinking... This did not have to be that hard. If they came out and played the third quarter against Philly the way they did against the game a couple of days previous, this game would have been over. Plus, plus you, have, been over. you have to mention also, Rashad, that they were out without the rookie, uh, their leading scorer, Okafor, as well. They were, I'm not even going to give them that because as a couple of the Philly beat writers said, both you know, in discussion before Brett Brown, and they asked Brett Brown directly, the Sixers play better with one of them in the lineup. They don't play well with Noel and Okafor in the lineup. But when one of them is in the lineup and the other one either comes off the bench or is not playing, the Sixers play a lot better. They're more competitive. So I'm not even going to – that That doesn't even count because, you know, when when Noel has room to roam and block shots, they, they just play better. Just like when Okafor is in there, they play better. So – and that, that third quarter, it, it wasn't just Noel. It was Smith, It was uh, it was Covington. It was Carl Landry who they who was excavated out from I don't know where. I mean, so it was just you're sitting there like this is the these are the Wizards that we've seen all year. Something happens in that third quarter. Something happens at halftime, and they come out and they just don't have it. Now, of course, they won the game, and John Wall was great, and you know. They're on a winning streak, and that they're still on, and that's fine. But at some point, somebody has to do something about that third quarter. Like, what? What? What is it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it you was thirty. The game. By the way, yeah, I watched it all. It was thirty-four to nineteen. Uh, Philly outscored Washington in the third quarter, and then Washington outscored Philly thirty-seven to twenty-six in the third in the fourth. And, and Philly had eighteen points in the paint. Eighteen points in the paint. Let's also mention, too, I want to mention, uh, even though we're hammering them, is that uh, Gortat had a career-high 20 rebounds and 18 points, and it was pretty much the difference, I thought, in the fourth quarter, along with John Wall. Uh, Marquise Morris had, uh, had uh, quite a few rebounds. I think he had 13 rebounds as well. So, you know, that they, they both, most of Marquise came in the first quarter, but they, they ruled the paint, you know, and that, that was a good sign. Marquise was getting more comfortable. He's, you know, he's still not hitting his jumper consistently, but he's getting more comfortable. But even with that, even he just kind of checked out on the third quarter. So, what, what, what was what was the the mood in the locker room, or or who'd you interview, or what was going on after that game? Well, I went to the Sixers locker room after the game because I wanted to hear. Um, I made a point to go there because I heard Brett Brown really get gung ho about stopping Wall, and Wall just basically shit it on him. So I wanted to hear what he had to say, and he was just. He was in awe. You know, he basically said we had a plan to stop Wall and we couldn't stop him. He was like, that's why he's an all-star. And so he just, he just looked totally dejected. And in the locker room, uh, uh, Nolan's Noel just said the same thing. He was like, you know, we, we couldn't stop him. He was like, we were right there. We felt good in the third quarter and we let it get away. So I, I just wanted to get a sense of in the Sixers locker room, did they feel like, you know, they were right there. That John Wall just kind of run all over him, and that, you know, that's that's how they felt. They they all were just completely frustrated about what John Wall could do. Um, so, but no, Connor went to the to the uh, Wizards like a reminder. Before we move on, uh, another he's still in the league. Uh, Kyle Carl Landry, uh, former Purdue Boilermaker, had 15 points in 18 minutes. Carl, Carl Landry had 15 points, and Nick Stock Saskis. Had ten points. 
yeah, uh, Ish Smith. No, before we move on, I was thinking about Ish Smith. I, I said this on Twitter as well, is I understand why they cut Ish Smith in training camp. There was no roster spot. They basically would have to cut Sessions or Temple and eat their, eat the salary. But, but the, but how well Ish Smith has played for Philly, this kind of makes me want to be privy to those, those, those practices of those battles between Ish Smith and John Wall and Townsend. I mean, they, those must have been epic. I mean, they're all cool with each other afterwards. I, I think Bradley Beal was talking to him. John Wall was talking to him. And I, I understand from a roster standpoint that they didn't want to eat the money to go closer to the luxury tax and flexibility from salary, especially for a third-string point guard, essentially. And, and Gary Temple and Sessions give them something different than Ish Smith. But damn, man, Ish Smith. Two things about Ish Smith is like, they can use him still, I think, the Wizards can. And how the hell has he been on, like, five teams? Because every time I watch him play, I'm like, damn, this dude's, like, pretty damn good. Well, he's tricky as hell. I mean, he'll have a stretch where he's hitting big shots, he's getting to the lane, and then he'll have this another, other stretches where... Like bad, turnovers, turnovers. Right? bad turnovers, right? Horrible turnovers. I mean, the, the Philly beat writer just was getting on him about just taking quick shots or taking rush shots at the end or doing what John Wall did early in his career, using all that speed and then get you know getting caught in the air with nowhere to go. So, you know, when he's when he's great, he's he's a world beater, but when he's not good, he's he's an hindrance to the team. So I can see why the Wizards let him go. Um Sessions is while his highs and lows aren't quite as dynamic as Is Smith, you know what you're getting with Sessions. You're getting a player who's gonna get to the lane, he's gonna hold it down He's going to hold down the fort until Wall gets back in, and he's a little safer. So I understand why they cut Ishmael, but, you know, in that third quarter, I was just sitting there like, this this is this is amazing. I mean, he's literally doing a John Wall impression. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. And also, John Wall and Sessions play a lot, have been able to play a lot together, and I think they feed off each other pretty well, especially with the injuries the Wizards had. And I don't know if Ishmael and John Wall could really play as well together. That concludes part one of the podcast with Rashad. Go check out part two of our discussion. We talk about Markeith Morris, Alan Anderson, the T-Wolves victory, of course, Kevin Durant to D.C. I go off on a whole long rant about KD to D.C., which I am in favor of, just trying to change the narrative. Thank you so much for your support, and as always, go Wiz. What I would do to take away this fear of being loved, allegiance to the pain. Now I fucked up and I'm missing you. I'll never be like you. I would give anything to change this fake minded heart that loves fake shiny things. Now I fucked up and I'm missing you. I'm only human, can't you see? I made, I made a mistake Please just look me in my face Tell me everything's okay Cause I got it Ooh, I'll never be like you I'm only human, can't you see?